and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. Hello and welcome back to ESSR Central, Philly on the road here to WrestleMania. My name's Ross McLeod, joined by my fourth pick for this show. Hello. Hello. Happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah, I had Chris, I asked him, he texted me back saying, Ross, the time difference, it's two in the morning, don't text me again. I had... John Isherwood ready to go. He said, no, I'm going to Anfield to watch Liverpool Real Madrid. Look how that turned out. And then Dave, David Hockney, currently sunning up in Mexico, diving into pools of water with all the grace of a geriatric slipping in a tub. <laughs> he said to me, oh, I might be able to do it. We're recording on a Thursday here, folk, uh, folks. And he went, my mistake, sorry, I'm not back till Sunday. Ah, oh, well, David, it was just the three days early you were going to show up to the airport. Eh? <laughs> I know. So Scott has very nicely agreed to fill in for me here. Aye, me, no long in for my work, you know. <laughs> I've already recorded like East Meets West this week, and you know, I've not had my dinner yet, but I made the sacrifice, you know. Well, I mean, I mean, if you you're going by David's calendar, I mean, you're technically <laughs> we're technically on Sunday, Scott. So East meets West was three days ago. Anyway, um, before we start, before we get into this, just remember we've got a massive back catalogue of previews, reviews, interviews, and all the news. That's at Suplex Retweet. Uh, sorry, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, and Android. I make that mistake every week because at Suplex Retweet is our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. You name it, we're on it. A, a sort of special version of Central this week because we are on the road to WrestleMania, but we are also in a weird time where about three companies have pay-per-views all running at the same time. Uh, Scott and Grant have obviously covered all the New Japan stuff uh, and all the stuff happening in Japan on East Meets West. We're going to review the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view and look ahead to WrestleMania. And we're going to have a preview of this weekend's No Surrender and a small look ahead to Revolution, just in case we don't get to do a show next week. We'll have a wee look ahead to that. So let's start on Elimination Chamber, Scott. Elimination Chamber coming to you from the Bell Centre in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, a area of Canada where nothing relatively interesting in wrestling has ever happened. No, don't mention it. <laughs> this past Saturday, 17,271 uh, in attendance and apparently the most watched Elimination Chamber in history. You'll get that going forward because a lot of the stuff now on Peacock reaching a much bigger audience. Uh, Five-match card, pretty, pretty small for a WWE pay-per-view, but every match meaning something. Uh, an end to the Judgment Day storyline, uh, or at least the Beth Phoenix Rhea Ripley chapter. Uh, Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar going head to head. A number one contenders elimination chamber, the world title on the line, and the United States Championship elimination chamber. Where would you like to start? Uh, preferably at the beginning. All right, well, there we go. That's usually a good place to start. Mm -hmm. uh, the elimination chamber for the Raw Women's Championship at WrestleMania 39. Asuka, Carmella, Liv Morgan, Natalia, Nikki Cross and Raquel Rodriguez. Four of these women being in there because they were in the final five of the Rumble. Natalia and Carmella both qualifying on the SmackDown and Raws following that. I think going into this, Scott, we both knew Asuka and Liv Morgan were really the only really the only people with any chance, but I think a lot of us thought Asuka was going to win it. Yeah, definitely. I think they did a lot to make Liv seem like if she wasn't going to be personally win it, she was going to come very close. And maybe we come down to the final two between her and Asuka because I think Liv might have been one of the people to start the chamber as well. She, she went, you know, she seems like the kind of person to have like, an Iron Woman like performance. I know a lot of people were saying that they thought Raquel Gonzalez could be a, a good shot, but I was thinking, please, God, no. I mean, Raquel Rodriguez from NXT. 
I would have said, yes, definitely give me that all day. But this current version of Raquel just does nothing for me. Uh, maybe they'll spin something off between her and Liv because the way that Liv uh, attacked her on SmackDown. But I think when, given the fact that Carmella very surprisingly got more eliminations than some people would have thought. I know they were telling the story of her being sneaky, but the fact that you know, it came down to her and Asuka, it made it a lot more obvious than it would have if, say, Raquel or Liv ended it with Asuka because... Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody was putting any money on Carmelo winning it. Yeah, um, I think <laughs> Carmella, I think, is very underrated, but our, our peak time was around about 2016 to 2018 on the main roster. Ever since then, it's been a bit stop-start with injuries and taking time off for personal reasons. But let's talk about the eliminations. Uh, Nikki Cross eliminated first. Uh, you, you look at these times... Uh, there's two minutes and 50 seconds between uh, the second elimination and the final elimination. But Nikki is out quite quickly, um, mm-hmm. which I found quite surprising considering she's reverted to the sanity gimmick. She's a bit... I, I still feel it's a bit childish and cookie at the minute. The, ooh, I'm following you. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we are seeing shades of sanity absolutely drilled by Raquel Rodriguez as she speared her through uh, one of the pods at the chamber and then quite easily dispatched four minutes before anyone else. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, I know you're in Canada, but come on, Natalia's right there. And I did think they did a really good job in both uh, chamber matches of utilising spots with the pod, like either Carmella trying to hide in her pod or obviously we Austin to be several and Gargano in the next uh, chamber. It does feel like a long time since we've seen the pods utilised, other than someone jumping off it. Because you remember back in the days, like, so the early chambers, like people, how big of a shock it would be when someone got driven through a pod. But I, I even said to you when you and I watched it, like it did feel like this chamber went by at, at quite a speed because you need at least 20, 25 minutes for a LV chamber at the very least, given the way time out entrance coming in. But even then, it felt like one of the quicker elimination chambers I've ever watched, maybe because they didn't want to dance around the fact that you know everybody knew who was going to win. Yeah, it's weird. See, WWE lie and say that it's every five minutes that the pods open, but the match itself only went 19 minutes and 30 seconds. So clearly, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Clearly, that's a lie. Maybe they reduced it to two minutes. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we started with a. Natalia and Liv Morgan, Nikki Cross out first. Liv Morgan surprisingly out second, um, refusing to quit while Asuka had the Asuka lock and Natalia had the sharpshooter on her, um, passing out eventually before Carmella pins Natalia. Asuka and Carmella then both gang up to eliminate Raquel Rodriguez. And then Carmella verbally submits to Asuka. All this happens within two minutes and 50 seconds of each other, so a bit of 100 mile an hour there, and I think that really Mm -hmm. did add to the chamber, but let's talk about Asuka herself winning this, with the new, the Katana style face paint, the new sort of killer gimmick, because I didn't like her doing the promos in Japanese, and I didn't like the oh, isn't Asuka a loose cannon, because it was it was WWE loose cannon. It was wacky. It was wacky Dean Ambrose sort of thing. I like this silent killer laughing in the face as the mist drips down her chin. And John Ishwood always brings up Bianca Belair's title run. It's been a, a title run with not many highlights in it. Uh, Becky Lynch being one of the highlights and the... The feud with Bailey that ended up feeling a bit dragged out in the end. I'm hoping Asuka ends the ends the reign of Bianca Belair just for the simple fact that we know Bianca Belair is better than this, and this title run's starting to drag her down a bit. I think. Yeah, definitely. I think if you want to get Asuka back to the position of being a title contender, because I think she had a bit of a resurgence during the pandemic where she had to kind of carry Raw when Becky went away to have her child. And since then, with injuries and all that, she's kind of dropped back down again. And so, like, the return to this kind of thing, like, ironically, the face paint is a fresh coat of paint that she was, her character was really needing. 
Yep. And I like the fact they've got by like you know Triple H and so actually just seeing a lot more elements in our kind of personality and our mannerisms of like threatening NXT Asuka back when she was undefeated. She's she we wouldn't always need to speak, but she'd give you a look as if to say, like, I'm going to kill you. And you know, I know she's been champion a few times before, but I think the main thing that she's been missing is a major like WrestleMania win. And I think that's where we yeah, get it. And I think I think like if you have yeah, girl, like putting up a fight against this what has been a dominant so far right, run of Asuka since she's come back, you do you, you can make Bianca look solid in defeat, and maybe suffering this defeat and fit coming back from it will be the story that can get fans invested in her again. But something I think we share in our group chat is that Asuka now is the distinction of being the only woman to win a chamber, money in the bank, and the Royal Rumble, and sole survivor as well. And she was a sole survivor as well. Yeah, uh, you mentioned obviously the definitive WrestleMania win. Her WrestleMania record is currently lost to Charlotte. Lo- uh, lost to Charlotte two weeks before WrestleMania, was thrown in the Battle Royal and finished third. Um, lost the tag titles to Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss. Lost the title in a feud that really was a bit dire with Rhea Ripley. And then she wasn't on last year's WrestleMania, was she? No, I don't think so. I think that may have been around the time she was she was dealing with that injury. I think because there was a period of time when she was out for ages, and then she came back around about the, I think before SummerSlam. So then she got involved with the whole baby faces gang up against damage control thing. Uh, yeah. So four WrestleMania losses. Hopefully, this is the the time that she gets her WrestleMania win, and we start to see. Start to see an Asuka that is more like that of the one we saw in NXT. Because if Rhea Ripley beats Charlotte at WrestleMania, I think it would be perfect in the draft to move Bianca over to face Rhea Ripley and on SmackDown. A bit of freshness uh, moving Bianca to SmackDown. And of course you'll have... Excuse me. You'll have a feud with Rhea Ripley that we we seen briefly in NXT but we really didn't get to explore because it's kind of overshadowed by the Charlotte uh, Rhea Ripley WrestleMania main event let's talk about Bobby Lashley Brock Lesnar, a singles match that went 4 minutes 45 seconds ends with a, a low blow to Lesnar but to Lashley by Lesnar um, I hate when they do this when they're trying to keep two people strong so they do a dodgy finish and it just ruins the match itself. Um, I thought this was going to be the WrestleMania match. Omos has called out Brock Lesnar. We'll see how that goes this week on Raw. I don't want to see Omos versus Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. I want to see a proper Bobby Lashley Brock Lesnar match without any Roman Reigns interference, lucky pinfalls, dodgy disqualifications. I want to see two big meaty men slapping meat. I know, like it felt like this was finally going to be what we wanted. Like, cause I don't remember much from the Rumble match that these two had last year, and then they had the match in at Crown Jewel, which wasn't the best. And then you think, okay, this is finally they're going to give us what you what we all wanted, what we were dreaming for for the Brock Lesnar last match. Just fan finishes, do what you do in the Brock Goldberg matches, and then also you have this. And I've seen some people joke like Bray Wyatt threatened to take him after the winner, so Brock was so keen to not. Win this match, he'd rather lose by DQ <laughs> than fight Bray Wyatt. And I remember afterwards, I'm certain you after they just move on to another. I'm like, what the fuck happened to Bray Wyatt? Did he was Bray Wyatt not allowed into Canada? Like, because I thought you could have spun this off like maybe Bobby wins, you could have had Bray, Bobby, and then maybe move Brock on to that rumored Gunther match. Because when I said that, I can't believe like we've had all that on our minds like Gunther, Brock, or Bobby, Brock, given like the rumors. And then, then there, then WWE comes along and says, "Oh no, here's almost Brock." Like, no, I don't want that. Yeah. I really need this to be a red herring, and them not to do almost versus Brock. Because I think actually this low blow gives you the uh, and a way into the Brock Gunther match because you can have Gunther basically coming out and say like, uh, "Brock Lesnar used to be a warrior, a champion, and all that." People feared you, but now you resort to cheap tricks. You you dishonor the sport. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
It certainly is a way in, and a lot of people are saying that the almost one might be a red herring because MVPs sort of quietly putting the hurt business back together here, trying to um, trying to get Bobby Lashley back in there, almost could be a red herring. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's probably a means to an end to get a no disqualification match between Brock and Bobby at WrestleMania. And Bray Wyatt and almost can well they can do what they like. I really don't care. <laughs> I do not want to see it. Anyway, I mean, I mean you see, all this, this is a way to like for a no DQ match. I really think after three attempts, I think you really the three is the most amount of times you just put these guys together, Brock and Bobby. And I really think after this cheat wire, after the way that Crudel ended, I really think you risk you know diminishing fans' investment and seeing what was at one point a dream match between these two. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I I would like to see them have a normal match, but the investment level is dropping every dodgy decision by dodgy decision. Uh, Edge and Beth Phoenix taking on Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley of the Judgment Day with Dominic Mysterio at ringside. Um, I was quite surprised the Judgment Day didn't win, uh, given the fact that Ripley is going on to WrestleMania, but the fact that Edge got the pin on Balor and uh, let's talk about the next night, Edge in a match with Austin Theory. Finn Balor, after attacking him, letting him know he's not done. There was a rumoured Hell in a Cell match uh, meant to be at the Royal Rumble. That's That was obviously scrapped. Do you think this is to set up Balor, Edge in a Hell in a Cell and what do the re- what are the rest of the Judgment Day doing at WrestleMania? Well, I think I could see this match happen at WrestleMania. I don't know if it will be Hell in a Cell. They could definitely get around it with, you know, maybe get rid of Judgment Day and, and all that. And also there were rumours of, like, Balor bringing the Demon back. And maybe he was annoyed at losing a Edge again pinned by him and Beth hitting the shower machine. Like that he's like, I, I, I need to do something like I need to do something extra to make sure you stay out. Because every time we've beaten you and I beat you extreme rules, you came back. Every time we try and take you out, you go back. So like he brings the demon back. Hopefully, in the finish edge and hope make sure he never comes back. Because uh, I was confused about them winning, but I'm assuming maybe they'll uh, they could spin this to like a uh, Rhea wins the title and maybe they have her defending a one-off match against Beth and like it's, it's bigger. It becomes bigger her beating a Hall of Famer now that she's retaining a title rather than just beating her in a normal match. But uh, yeah, definitely about it was definitely more about extending the Finn uh, Edge thing, which I think a lot of people would probably be happy to put this to bed now because the Judgment Day formed at WrestleMania last year, so this has been going on nearly a year. This thing with Edge and Judgment Day, so maybe put this to bed and let Judgment Day do their own thing. But also we got Rhea Charlotte. I don't know if that's going to be an event. Anyone, if the tag title match that we think is happening is going to happen, I really think there's an argument that could be an event night one. Dom, I mean, they say that Rhea and Dominic are going to be on SmackDown this week, and Dominic's in the segment on Raw. I think my deadbeat dad's got a match on SmackDown, so maybe I'll tag along. So, really, this is the time you strike and start the build to Dom versus Rhea at Mania. And Priest will be there. He'll be in someone's corner. Priest, uh, Priest is going to be the manager. I think Priest is going to be relegated to the the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal again, which is a wee bit sad. But hopefully they find something for him to do because all three members of the Judgment Day are there. Nothing much more really to say about this match. It was a fun mixed tag match. Uh, Dominic Mysterio again playing his part as the slimy little shit that everyone wants to see get their head kicked in. Michael Cole more than most. I know he was like... Dominic you might be the only person that uh, Michael Cole hates more than uh, Top Dollar. But it's like <laughs> the crowd were ripping into Dominic for ju- for not doing anything, for just being there. Like he gets chased off by Edge, the crowd chant hey hey goodbye. He gets a couple minutes, walks back down, and like it's a close over there, and then all you can see is the crowd looking to the entrance ramp and loudly booing the fact that Dominic's chosen to walk back down to ringside. And I think part of the only reason that Lady Priest got put into the chamber on this show was like, we'll give you a showcase here, because you're not doing anything at WrestleMania. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about that, Chamber. Uh, Austin Theory defeating Bronson Reed 
Damian Priest, Johnny Gargano, Montez Ford, and Seth freaking Rollins. There was a time that um, Johnny Gargano's gear was inspired by Marvel characters, but because it was his son's birthday, he's, his gear was inspired by Bluey, the children's cartoon. So <laughs> that was actually quite sweet when I seen that. Um, I predicted this before, uh, before the show went on air. I thought Bronson Reed was going to get the, the big show, Great Cali treatment with the, the five finishers and everyone piling on him. Uh, Bronson Reed out first with exactly that. Montez Ford with a sensational splash as the explanation point, eliminating uh, Bronson Reed. Michael Cole did a, a good job, by the way, in talking about the, the rivalries that existed uh, already in this. Mm-hmm. Seth Rollins and Austin Theory used to be a team. Seth Rollins lost the title to Austin Theory. Austin Theory uh, was brought back to NXT by Johnny Gargano. Johnny Gargano took the North American title from Damian Priest because of Austin Theory, but then Bronson Reed beat Johnny Gargano for the North American title and Montez Ford was just there. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> but it was it was quite an interesting uh, storyline there that with everyone having something... Uh, some sort of connection that it was it was quite good mm-hmm. yeah i like that i i did like that everyone i like this one more than a woman's one because i like this one got given a lot more time people got like, a chance to, like showcase themselves like you know bronson did see me go out quite early and not really get any eliminations he's still made to feel like a big deal even from the minute he he got out his pod like i'm pretty sure they're like they went to like all six guys were involved before there was an elimination and like Bronson's throwing people around he sees that Monte the clock's looking down for Montez and just walks right up to his pod and <laughs> would you like that and I feel like Montez and Johnny weirdly got like some of the most like shine in this match they got some of the biggest like showcases where like Montez especially coming in the final three where they're obviously wanting to highlight like everybody in this match and like establish that this US belt is a is a like a big deal, and I know there was a lot of people worried about the way that Montez got taken out, but apparently that was just him selling, and like the whole thing of medics coming in was just so that the cage could go, could stay open for the spot with Rollins and Logan Paul to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Gargano eliminated second uh, after a razor's edge from uh, Damien Priest. Uh, Damien Priest then eliminated a. Uh, with a from the heavens, uh, then attempts it on theory who gets his knees up. Uh, let the cell here, as you mentioned here, the stomp on the outside. Everyone still thought he was injured, <laughs> but obviously it was to let. But someone who, when you heard Michael Cole talk about, it, might rival Dominic Mysterio for how much he hates him, uh, Logan Paul. This freak, this freeloader, he's just interested in being famous and off our business. I'm not having it. <laughs> like, all right, Michael, calm down. Calm down, Michael. But yeah, uh, Logan Paul returns. He hits the buckshot lariat on Seth Rollins, hits him with a stomp, allows Austin Theory to hit his finisher to retain the title. And it looks like we are going to get Seth Rollins against Logan Paul at WrestleMania. You know what? 100% okay with that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I like the fact that it came down to these last two like eliminations where like it was only after Rollins at the stop that they eliminated Montez and then with also help after Rollins was already taken out by a stomp and a clothesline from uh, Logan Paul to see how he's finished. Because so, like, Steve takes a lot of punishment in this match and then obviously being the smarmy heel that he is, he steals the, the one in the end and acts like he's better one because he survived the chamber. But yeah, I liked Paul coming. I think it felt like there was a lot of rumours that he would show up at this show and it was said even before this period that the match between these two is set in stone and Rollins is already like talking about Logan Paul. I don't want to talk about Logan Paul, I don't like uh, I wonder if they're gonna like get his podcast involved and like have Seth Rollins on his show because I think they used Logan's podcast to set up his match with Roman. And mm-hmm. so, you know, use that conversation because like I know they did something similar with they done some stuff with Pat McAfee's show in the past to set up his match with Adam Cole back in IT and then you had Vince coming on his show to announce that Pat was going to wrestle at last year's Mania. So I'm looking forward to that. I think this is definitely going to be like one of the like middle of the card, like night one still matches that 
you know, blows everybody away. Kind of like Rollins' placement in the last couple of years, the likes of Cody and Cesaro. You know, Seth very consistently has one of, if not the best match on the show at WrestleMania. Like, even from as far back as, like, his match, his triple threat match with Miz and Balor. So, mm-hmm. I definitely think that it's smart the way they've been doing with Logan Paul. Like, everybody they've put him in so far is, like, has a track record of being safe or reliable and has actually put on great matches. And I think if you're, if you, want him, like, you want him to have a great showcase in a singles match at WrestleMania, there's, like, nobody really better you could put him in the ring with other than Seth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Austin Theory, let's just quickly touch on this. Uh, open challenge for the United States title. Beats Edge, uh, another feather in the cap. Is this going to lead to John Cena, Austin Theory at WrestleMania? I definitely think so, because there were some like kayfabe questions at that WWE press conference, and I know people have put fun of that, but like, well, the more you kayfabe a press conference, the less likely you have somebody angrily disparaging their colleagues while stuffing muffins in their face. But <laughs> like someone asked him a question about John Cena, like, why is everyone talking about John Cena? I don't want to talk about John Cena. And then they've announced him for the March 6th Raw. So I definitely feel like something's going to happen there to set up Cena versus Deary. And I just wonder like how infrequently Cena's back. It just it's another question as if whether or not they'd have Deary beaten and uh and retain his US title because if Cena's not going to be around, you don't want to put the US belt on him after you've done all this effort to make it the top singles belt on Raw with Roman being around so infrequently on Raw. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, Roman Reigns in the main event defeating Sami Zayn for the Universal uh, Undisputed WWE Universal Championship. The, the entrance for Roman, slower than usual, bringing in every single boo, the weight between his entrance and Sami's, the fact that the guys just stared each other off for the first three minutes and the crowd went mental. The two of these guys worked the crowd absolutely sensationally. No one can tell me Roman Reigns is not over. No one can tell me that WWE haven't caught lightning in a bottle with Sami Zayn. However, this is WWE. Therefore, smarky, smarky critics will always have a pop at whatever happens. People complaining, a, a small section that is, that Sami Zayn didn't win and Sami Zayn is not involved in WrestleMania. Brian Alvarez saying, quite simply, oh, so no one could give me a reason why Sami Zayn shouldn't have won in Montreal then. I'll give you a reason, Brian, because it's not his story. The the literal, the, the, the entire storyline of Cody Rhodes' run for the WWE title is coming back to WWE with unfinished business and finishing his family's unfinished business, finishing the story. That's his story. Sami Zayn's story is someone who betrayed his best friend for what he thought was a family unit, lost that family unit, and now, as we saw on Raw, he wants to take down the bloodline and do it with his friend side by side. And... Kevin Owens has said, no, this will be this will be very much like the Ambrose Rollins Shield reunion. It'll be a will you won't they sort of thing. And yeah, that's Sami Zayn's story to finish. Sami Zayn's story of a 20 plus year veteran who came in with his best friend, who was best man at his wedding, going to WrestleMania and the two of them winning the tag team championships together. That's his story. That's why he didn't win at uh, Elimination Chamber, Brian, you fucking mark. <laughs> anyway, I'd be interested to hear your opinion on that, Scott. <laughs> yeah. When you talk about the music, first, like, Sammy's came in and said that his promo on Smadden was meant to cover a lot more stuff than it did. But he just, like, let the crowd, he just let the crowd, you know, do their thing and they were happy to see him. And then I think we got, we knew going into this he probably wouldn't win. But I think that little bit of doubt in our minds made us believe. And then the fact that he got his old music, the crowd, that the crowd were so hot, uh, and all like the interference and everything, I think is what's in the moment causing a lot of people to kind of be sad that they didn't do it. Even though I think we had to try and prepare ourselves that they weren't going to put the belt on them. And like I have seen that it was like at least four minutes between the bell ringing and the first block up because they just let the crowd, you know. 
do their thing and like let them show like, their support. Two pay-per-views in a row where it then was fuck you Roman chance, but for the right reasons and not like it used to be back in 2015, 16, yeah. 17, a little bit of 18. <laughs> you know? So, it was a hell of a show. He's like involving Sammy's wife in it as well, with Roman talking trash and everything. And I've not, some of the criticism I've seen of this match is not the that Sammy, not just that Sammy didn't win, it was the fact that, you know, the Jimmy Uso involvement, or sorry, the Jey Uso involvement and that he didn't officially, like, he didn't do the pull the trigger on him making his decision who he sides with, and, like, I even saw some people more, like, why didn't Sam and Kevin do the embrace there, set up the tag match, like, because they've still got, like, at the time it was, like, 42 days, like, so they've got, like, a good few weeks left, like, ease it out, maybe wait to, like, two weeks before me, and then officially confirm it, because I think we all know what's going to happen, because, like, because Owens gave a really good reasons, like, you stood there at the Rumble, my family watched on TV, me getting my head slammed in the in the steps and then bullying beating the helmet. You stood there like you you helped me, but a bit too late. So I made sure to get there before they could do any more damage. You so your family didn't have to sit in the front row and watch you get beat up. Like I didn't do it for you. I did it to get the bloodline. I did it for your wife. I did it for your kid, not for you. And mm-hmm. I, I think maybe this coming SmackDown maybe the point where we see like Jimmy or sorry, Jay's allegiance. But I agree with you that. The story with Sammy is his relationship with the Usos and you know how much obviously the tag titles are important to the bloodline because as soon as Roman unified his belts, he's linked to the Usos like, yeah, you're Smackdown tag champs, but you should be the unified tag champs and he made sure that they got there and they've held those belts for over a year and, you know, he he, he instantly got along with Jimmy, but Jay didn't really want him and then just as Jay accepts him, it's Jimmy who's the first to joining the beat down on Sammy after he betrays Roman, whereas Jay is so conflicted. But I think they're going to eventually tell a story of Jay basically falling in line out of loyalty to Jimmy rather than to loyalty to Roman. Whereas it used to, like, Cody's story is all about the belts. Like, he came back to WWE because, you know, he left because he he left WWE because he wasn't seen as a guy who could be the champion. He wasn't, like, prepared for the main event. But he, then he goes away, prepares himself, makes himself into this American nightmare, comes back. And he's now ready. He said, I'm here for the unfinished business to become the WWE champion. And he's got a big guy, as Paul Hayden pointed out, you know, was actually groomed for the main event. And one of those people to help him prepare to be in the main event or was Dusty Rhodes, who helped him in NXT. So there's like your story for that. Uh, mm-hmm. I really think like it's going the way it's still going the way it should be going. And I know in the mm-hmm. moment it's, it's not. It's a bit, it seems like a bit of a downer, but Sammy got his moment for the Hoover kick, but give it a couple weeks. Let's see where it goes with the Usos on SmackDown. Let's see what happens when they start to, because now they're going to have to start doing some science between Roman and Cody, because Cody said to Roman after Paul Heyman did that like, pre-tape promo, like, uh, don't send your messenger again. So I have a feeling this guy will lead to like, Roman cutting a promo on SmackDown and Cody confronting like, you didn't come to me, so I came to you. Yeah, um, there is six episodes of SmackDown at time of recording and five episodes of Raw left. Sami Zayn is a SmackDown guy, Kevin Owens is on Raw. Um, they Obviously, the Usos can go on either brand if they choose to. Uh, Cody Rhodes can go on either brand as the Royal Rumble winner and Roman can go on either brand as the Undisputed WWE Universal Champion. So... Going forward, there will be 11 show, eleven TV shows to fill with these two stories. So I think it's very clear why they haven't pulled the trigger on the KO Sami Zayn thing yet. And I think it's clear why uh, Paul Heyman did the promo with Cody this week. And Cody said, do not send this man again. So we're looking forward to seeing the road to WrestleMania heat up. It looks like, just looking at the card here, Roman against Cody, Asuka against... Uh, Bianca, Rhea Ripley against Charlotte, Edge against Finn Balor, Austin Theory against John Cena, Dominic against Rey Mysterio, Seth Rollins versus Logan Paul, and KO and Sammy against the Usos. Loads of stuff to look forward to there. So that was looking back. Let's look forward. Let's look forward to this coming Friday. Impact Wrestling, No Surrender, coming to you from Samstown, not the Killers album. Uh, and Sunrise <laughs> Manor, Nevada. Uh, no Surrender 2023. 
a nine-match card. Um, before we get into the nine matches, and I'll run down the card quickly, I liked these Impact Wrestling monthly specials because it felt like they were a wee treat when WWE wasn't very good and AEW was just kind of... It was, let's see who shows up this week in AEW. They were like six or seven matches long with possibly a pre-show match. We've now got nine matches. That's too much for a monthly special. Now that WWE's gotten good again. So, come on, Impact. Let's let's reel it in. Reel it in. WWE does five matches of pay-per-view. Surely you can do the same. But anyway, let's look ahead to the matches. Uh, Deanna Perrazzo versus Giselle Shaw. Uh, and Jonathan Gresham versus Mike Bailey on both on the pre-show. Uh, Mickey James versus Masha Slamovic in a singles match for the Impact Knockout World Championship. Josh Alexander taking on Rich Swan for the Impact World Championship. Fatal four-way match to determine the number one contenders for the Impact World Championship. Brian Myers, Heath Slater, PCO and Steve Macklin. Six-man tag team match, the time machine of Alex Shelley and Chris Sabin of the Motorcycle Machine Guns and Kushida going up against Bullet Club's Ace Austin, Chris Bay and Kenta. Uh, the Death Dolls, Jessica and Taya Valkyrie with Rosemary, going up against The Hex, Alison Kay and Marty Bell with Father James Mitchell. That's for the Impact Knockouts World Tag Team Championship. Frankie Kazarian versus Con of the Design with Dina Angels and Callahan in his corner. And Joe Henry, who I believe in, defending the Impact Digital Media Championship against Moose, any dot combat match. I, I I like how the Impact Digital Media t- title is starting to be starting to become something more than just a pre-show title, and the dot combat match is starting to become its its signature. Uh, I like the, the idea of the dot combat match because it's a fun fun. I think they've only done like two of them so far. Although I really wish that they wouldn't. In exchange for putting this on the main show, not of uh, like downgraded Jonathan Gresham v Mike Bailey to the pre-show. I really think that sort of potential would be a match of the night contender as well. Uh, and also the fact that the digital media title is now on the main show, I think, is also a testament to the fact that, well, one, it's also going against, it's been defended against Moose as a former world champion, but I think it's also a testament to how they feel about Joe Hendry and Impact Wrestling right now. They believe in Joe Hendry. Joe Hendry. Oh, that's a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Joe Henry and Moose in a dot combat match. Scott, you, uh, you, me and David Campbell, uh, as a result of getting eight in the Elimination Chamber sweeps, are going up against each other head to head to head. Um, this week with our predictions, I'm just going to get your prediction here. Joe Henry versus Moose, who do you have? Oh, I believe in Joe Henry and my prediction still. Uh, reflect that. I think I'm the same as well. I believe in Joe Hendry. Yes. Uh, let's move on to the. So let's quickly touch on the pre show. Deonna Perrazzo, Giselle Shaw, and Jonathan Gresham, Mike Bailey. The reason these are on the pre show, these have been built up on impacts before the impact pre show. Uh, Deanna Perrazzo, uh, the latest target for Giselle Shaw, she says, she don't, doesn't care that she broke up the influence. She doesn't care that she broke up uh, Savannah Evans and uh, Tasha Steeles. And she doesn't care that Chelsea Green left. Uh, basically, she's the poison in every tag team that she joins. Uh, Diana Perrazzo taking issue with that. And she's been going up against Giselle Shaw or on Before the Impact. John Gresham uh, issued the open challenge specifically to Mike Bailey on Before the Impact before he accepted. So I can see Diana Perrazzo, Giselle Shaw, I think is just a, an undercard women's feud at the minute. But with Gresham and Bailey, with the likes of the New Japan uh, crossover show on March 30th, uh, Sacrifice and Rebellion coming up, I can see Gresham Bailey possibly going to a time limit draw on the pre-show before maybe getting more time on a bigger stage in the coming months. Could be interesting. I mean, I've always wanted to see a match on a pre-show bleed over into the main show. Like, 
we're back here. We're welcome to the pay per view. They're still wrestling. This is maybe a peaceful match. They're still going. Uh, they've not really like, ever done that before. They did something once. Like they had like an Iron Man match or something on the. It started on like before the impact with Joey Alexander TGP, which then bled over to the, the first twenty or so minutes of Impact Wrestling. So like you see them like kind of cross over, like do the time limit job, so good and somebody come back to. But as you and I were kind of taking the piss the other day, we were talking about it. It's very much, the bill is very much a ah, I am good at wrestling, but I see you are also good at the wrestling. But I see who for now at least is the best at wrestling. Ah yes, I see you know you're wrestling well, but. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I think Diana Perrazzo is going to beat Giselle Shaw, and I think we're going to have a time limit draw with Gresham and Bailey. Uh, I'll say that uh, Diana Perrazzo beats Giselle Shaw, and for now, just to keep it going, I'm going to say that Mike Bailey gets the very close win against against uh, Jonathan Gresham. We can keep him strong for this uh, multiverse show because he's going to be fighting Will Osprey on that show. I think Jonathan Gresham is uh, better as a as a bad guy, so maybe he can use his frustration that to be a heel turn and further matches with Bailey. That's fair enough. Um the Time Machine versus Bullet Club six man tag match, I think this is gonna lead to uh, matches on that uh, I'm just getting the name of that. What is it called? Multiversal? I think it's called uh, Multiverse United. Multiverse United, that's what it's called. Uh, yeah, I think this is going to lead over to matches on that with Alex Shelley and Chris Sabin currently holding the Impact and the New Japan Strong uh, tag titles. It would be daft not to. Ace Austin and Chris Bay were screwed over uh, at Hard to Kill in the Fatal 4-Way match by Cardona and Myers. And they've sort of dispatched of them, so I think this is a nice way to introduce Kenta while pushing forward to the an inevitable tag match of Bullet Club versus Borch set Machine Guns. Uh, I'm a bit biased in the match because I'm going behind Bullet Club because I love Kenta. He's one of my favourites right now. He recently just beat uh, Fred Rosser, the formerly known as Darren Young, for the uh, strong openweight title. So I'm wondering if he's going to have that belt with him on impact. And they've already announced that on night one of the tapings, they're doing the two nights of tapings after, and Sandstein after No Surrender, that on one of those nights, they say, should he still be champion? I think he will be. Uh, but Kent is going to fight Josh Alexander for the Impact World title, so I definitely see this being a, a Bullet Club win. Maybe it'll motivate something, like you said, for one of the United, like a Kent-Kushida match, which I don't think has ever happened. I'm going to skip over Death Dolls versus the Hex, because I don't like the Death Dolls. I don't like Rosemary. I think she's in a world where Natalia exists, she's the worst actress in wrestling. Uh, and Father James Mitchell should have been long retired when Abyss went away. So, not interested in this match. I think the Death Dolls retain, but I really don't care if the Hex won. It's weird because like, the Death Dolls have had a longer reign than most recent uh, tag team champions have. I'm tempted to maybe go with the Hex, just, you know, Something different because I really don't have much investment in that. So, oh, okay, I'll, okay, I'm gonna go with the hex. See what happens. It, nothing will happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Frankie Kazarian against Con of the design. Now, the whole story with the design recently has been their recruitment of Callahan. They've taken his first name away. Um, <laughs> Frankie Kazarian doesn't like the design. He doesn't like what they're doing to Callahan. He thinks Callahan's got motive and he's an undercover agent to take them out. If you thought that, Kazarian, why would you give it away? Um, but Kazarian v. Con here, but I think the end goal will be an eventual Callahan versus Kazarian match because Diener's talking about this will be step five of the seven deadly steps for him joining the design. Hmm. It's interesting because you know, when on the hand you can see Callahan helping Con win to help like prove further proof himself to the design, but on the other hand, when Frankie Gazarian wasn't officially saying to him that he was winning the exhibition title and challenging for the world title, so you don't want to start him off by losing to one half of the Ascension, a team when WWE barely ever won. Mm-hmm. 
So, hmm. I'm tempted to go with Kazarian here. Like maybe Callahan tries to help him, but it, it goes wrong somehow. Yeah, I think I think a Kazarian win. Callahan gets the blame for Con not winning, and it eventually leads to Callahan versus Kazarian at Rebellion in April. That's that's my prediction. Yeah, the long game. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about the... Well, we'll do the Impact World title scene in the one. We'll do the number one contenders match and the world title match. Let's talk about Masha Slamovich going up against Mickey James for the Impact's Knockout World Championship. Uh, Jordan Grace uh, losing the title to Mickey James at Hard to Kill as part of the last rodeo. However, Masha Slamovich made it clear she's jumping the queue. She's next in line. And she's only lost one match to Jordan Gracie. Do you do you see her winning against Mickey James here, or do you see her getting her second loss? I mean, well, technically she's lost like twice to Jordan Grace because they also had a match to like Overdrive. I think it was like a no DQ or Monster Fall, some type of. Or no, it was last knockout stand. That's what it was. But then to start getting her momentum back, but it would be weird for her to then lose a third opportunity. Then again. It would also be strange for Mickey James to have the last video, have it come to end with her winning the title, and then immediately the next special lose the title. Hmm. I really don't really know where to go with this. And like at the minute, uh, recently I yeah, got tomorrow on Twitter teasing that uh, Mercedes Minnie might come in because she said she wanted to fight Mickey James. So. Oh, I'm going to hesitantly say Mickey James retains you. I am going to go Masha Slamovich, and I'll tell you for why. I'll tell you for why. Please um, do. Masha Slamovich is currently buddying up with Bully Ray. Bully Ray and Mickey James have a problem with each other. Bully Ray and uh, Tommy Dreamer are going to have a live, uh, what's their radio station called? Uh, busted Open. They're going to have a live Busted Open session with, is it David Garcia? Uh, David LaGreca. I feel like called David. Um, yeah. Where they both want to get their point across and I think that's going to lead to a, a loser leaves Impact match because they both said to each other you should leave Impact. Um, but Billy has also had a problem with Mickey James and I think we're going to get an intergender match between the two of them. So I think Bully Ray beats up Tommy Dreamer, and then Bully Ray cost Mickey James the title. Masha Slamovich wins, and Jordan Grace, who's taking time off TV to do her bodybuilding at the minute, she'll eventually return to take on Slamovich. So I, I, that's what I think is going to happen. Uh, none of that might happen right enough, but you know that's what I think is going to happen. <laughs> Well, it's quite a little story you've written for yourself, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yes. So let's talk about um, the fatal four-way to determine the number one contenders for the Impact Knockouts World Championship. Obviously, Josh Alexander's taking on Rich Swan. He won the Golden Six Shooter, six former world champions, uh, to earn the right to face Josh Alexander. Steve Macklin not happy that he wasn't included, but he isn't a former world champion. He's in the fatal four-way. He beat Rich Swan at Hard to Kill, and he beat Rhino this past week on Impact Wrestling to secure his spot in the number one contendership match. Other people in there, PCO, who beat uh, Shearer, not Alan Shearer, just the Indian fella. Heath, who beat Eddie Edwards, thanks to PCO's uh, interference. And Brian Myers, who beat Dirty Dango, are also in that fatal four-way match. I can't see anything other than a Josh Alexander retention in the main event and Steve Macklin winning the fatal four-way. I mean, I was tempted to go with one of the other guys to then, like, so that maybe they get up the match sacrifice between the winner of this and Josh, and then finally Steve Macklin gets his shot at Rebellion because I'm like, I've got this image of, like, if Josh is going to lose, it should be at Rebellion to Macklin. I think there are ways you can kind of have a screwy finish at Sacrifice to take you to Rebellion. So I'm also going to go with Steve Macklin because Myers, I think, is too caught up in tag stuff right now. Uh, and Heath 
it's not going to win it. And PCO is not going to win. Well, one, because I assume Eddie's going to get involved after what PCO did to him. And also, you know, common sense dictates that PCO should not win this. <laughs> yeah, I think um, PCO gets taken out by um, Eddie Edwards. I think that's a, an obvious one there. Brian Myers at the minute, uh, frustrating Matt Cardona by attending a party thrown by Joe Hendry. Joe Hendry <laughs> threw a party and gave free food uh, to everyone. Brian Myers then later in the night cost Matt Cardona by accidentally hitting him with the roster cut. Uh, so Brian Myers and uh, Matt Cardona are not on good terms at the moment. So I could see a bit of screw finish there. And he he's quite beloved by Impact, but I don't see him winning. I think I think if Macklin wins and becomes number one contender, I think he gets the shot at Rebellion. Because I think sacrifices the week before the Multiverse United, they've already announced Kushida against Josh Alexander for that uh, pay-per-view. I think they will do some sort of um, tag match before that. Just to set that up, and then you've got four weeks—sorry, uh, three weeks—to set up um, Josh Alexander against Steve Macklin. So, yeah, I'm going to go Steve Macklin and Josh Alexander to retain. Yeah, I'm going to go the same. <laughs> right, I look forward to when we send each other our predictions, and we've had more times to think about it for all of these predictions to be completely useless. <laughs> But let's move on to our final pay-per-view preview. We're only going to touch on this one briefly because if we get a chance to do a show next week, we'll be able to delve into it further and there'll be more announced. But uh, Revolution, March 5th, 2023, from San Francisco, California's Chase Centre, All Elite Wrestling, six matches announced so far. Uh, Jamie Hayter defending the AW Women's World Championship against Saraya and Ruby Soho. Chris Jericho versus Ricky Starks in a singles match where the Jericho Appreciation Society are banned from ringside. Samoa Joe and Wardlow going to go one-on-one for the AEW TNT Championship. John Moxley, who's recently just became the first superstar to gain 100 uh, wins on AEW Dynamite is going to go up against Hangman Adam Page in a Texas death match. Fatal four-way tag team championship match, the AEW tag team championships. The Gun Club, the greatest team in the world. Austin Gunn and Colton Gunn taking on the acclaimed, taking on the winners of the, what was it called last night? The Casino Battle? No, the Casino Battle Royal, I think it's to come up. I think it was just like a, a, it was just called a tag team battle royal. The revolution, no, was it no? I was the revolution. The revolution. So, Jay uh, Lethal and Jeff Jarrett won that. There will be a casino tag team uh, battle royal match. The winners of that will be added. And of course, MGF going up against Brian Danielson in a 60 minute Ironman match. This, I think, is a really important pay per view for AEW because in the wake of WWE's resurgence in the era of Ring of Honor uh, AEW sort of lost its way I think because it's a bit ironic when Triple H took over creative and he's just focusing on creative and Tony Khan's now focusing on everything in AEW along with Ring of Honor that the quality of one product rose and the quality of another dropped. Um, the gap between pay-per-views for AEW is far too long. I know they only like to do like four to five a year with a couple of specials, but the specials have not been good. The specials have not generated interest. And this could be a good chance after all the nastiness uh, from All Out and the decline in interest in the company for AEW to sort of fire itself back up because we know WrestleMania time, WWE gets all the attention but AEW needs to be there when when WWE's programming drops after WrestleMania, which it inevitably always does and AEW needs to be there as a viable alternative. They've discussed uh, I believe 
Ring of Honor is going to launch as a TV show properly uh, soon. Yeah, I think they're like doing doing like around the same time they do like dark tapings at Universal. They're also going to do a couple of days of taping for Ring of Honor, and so it'll launch mid March. And like the they're going to do like a day or two of tapings, which takes them up to I think they're planning on running Supercard of Honor again. Yeah, weekends to look. They're going to do a couple of days of tapings to take them up to to do the build up to that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they've confirmed that like Ian Riccoboni and Kabisco on the main ring of other commentary team are going to be on the show to to call those those matches. So it's a separate commentary team. I think eventually, as it goes on, a few wrestlers will, who aren't doing anything will migrate over from AEW to Ring of Honor, and so it'll always start to have its own like feel like it feel unique again mm-hmm. which is definitely because i see a lot of people who talk about i know there was like all the stuff with the elite and the punk stuff and all that uh, stuff but a lot of people have actually pointed out back to they pointed all the way back to the reveal of ring of honor being bought by tony can is like the minute where ew started to go off the rails a little bit because then they lost some focus with all these extra champions mm-hmm. so it's good to see Ring of Honor kind of launch again, like its own thing, because you know EW did kind of knock out of the park in a lot of people's minds for with field gear. So I think it's important, like you said, that they keep this going. And I mean, there's one, two episodes of Rampage and one Dynamite between now and Revolution, and that's still enough time for this to balloon up to six to fucking twelve matches somehow. <laughs> if Tony Khan has his way, and I don't know how many matches are going to end up being on the card, but. I as soon as I heard a few weeks back that oh they're going to do a sixty minute Iron Man match for the title I'm like am I fuck watching this live I'm not even <laughs> entertaining the idea of watching this live because I struggle when it's a when it's a regular match in the main event I'm not staying up with my eyes like faded I know really the only time for your main event a sixty minute Iron because at that point I'll just go in my bed yeah I I struggle to remember the last time I didn't fall asleep during an AEW pay per view. And that's not because of the quality not being good. The quality on these AEW pay-per-views is always very, very good. But they are also very, very long. I remember being at yours uh, for like Double or Nothing last year. And like you went to your bed like, before, when there was like two minutes left. I watched the semi-main event. And then, like you see the campsies outside your window, I can see like the sun coming up over the campsies a little bit, and I'm like, "Still more match like I've got. I'm pretty sure I've got work in the morning. I should be in my bed now. I'm going to my bed." Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, when the sun's starting to come over the hills, I think it's time to go to bed. <laughs> when the postie's starting his round as you're going to your bed. When the postie chaps the window and says, "Get to your bed," that's when you know the pay per views went a bit long. The milkman gave me a growler. Um, but anyway, <laughs> let's talk about the MGF Brian Danielson storyline. Um, MGF wanted to prove that he can beat Brian Danielson at his own game, sort of thing. But he's been putting Brian Danielson through the ringer. Um, he has been a highlight of AEW TV recently. Do you see this being a. Pardon me? the moment Brian Danielson wins the AEW World Championship, or do you see this being a natural first opponent due to the William Regal aspect and a first retention for MGF? I see this being a retention for MGF. I think, obviously, he's made uh, he's made his whole AEW be a lot about his character work more so in his matches. Not that he hasn't had great matches, but I think you can't have Brian Danielson come in and say basically how really down, play down how good a uh, wrestler MJF is and not have MJF like, win and try and prove himself a little bit. Even if he cheats to get a few falls, if he can ever get a few like falls by like you know using like the armbar that he's done uses, he can use that over. Like, I made Brian Dyson tap him. That clearly means I'm a better technical wrestler than Brian Dyson. He can lord this victory over Brian Dyson because also Brian thought this match would really show MJF up. And like I guess it's been a good build with Brian fighting all sorts of different opponents to get here. And yeah, proven like just how much of a scumbag he truly is, as if we didn't know that already. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the tag title match, I misspoke on the Casino Tag Team uh, Battle Royal. It's going to be on the Dynamite before, full gear, uh, before Revolution, sorry. So 
I think I think Tony Khan's taking your advice, Scott, and there's a sixty minute Ironman match on. Let's not do twelve. Let's be reasonable. Let's do eleven. Let's do ten. Did you think there's a buy-in as well? And like fucking all out last year was the real peak. About fifteen matches, including the pre-show, which had four matches. And I'm like, no, like yeah, draw people in with a pre-show with some entertaining matches. You don't need four of them. When you need four matches on your buy-in to help sell your pay-per-view, you've it's not worth it anymore. No, it's definitely not. And <laughs> when a when a buy-in has four matches. They better be entertaining matches. Like at that point, it just becomes an extra episode of Rampage that you put at the start of your pay per view. Yeah, but then you've got a mixed tag match with the Jericho Appreciation Society against Ortiz and Ruby Soho, Hook v Angelo Parker for the FTW Championship, Park v Kip Saban, and then Eddie Kingston v Tomohiro Ishii. Now, these aren't just five-minute matches, though. One 13-minute match, one 10-minute match, one six-minute match, and one four-minute match. So 10, 20, 33 minutes of your buy-in, which is meant to convince people to buy the show, is spent on other things. On the, is spent just doing another episode of Dynamite, as you said. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Right, anyway, uh, but yeah, I think I think this uh, card does look good, and I'm going to put my my hat on John Moxley, Hangman Adam Page, Texas Death Match being the best match on the card. And I bet it's so obvious that no one would take money for it. John Moxley will bleed a lot. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. you get even even odds for that at the bookmakers. Um, I know because I've seen like. I can't remember who it was that said this to you, but I've seen it being said around like, John Moxley should never be in a first blood match because he will lose instantly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he'll, he'll be the one that bloody, would you call it? He'll be the one that bloody bleeds. I know, like, he just lost the match. I don't care. I just love to bleed. <laughs> I'm just looking at the names. Uh, Takeshita? Is that his name? Takeshita. To get all oh, right, take a shite. Bandito, Brian Cage, and Timothy Thatcher and Rush are all the names that Brian Anderson's had to beat to get to this world championship opportunity. So he's certainly he's certainly uh, put the graft in here. Samojo Wardlow, are you hoping they just give them what it should have been in the first place, which is two big guys beating the out of each other? Very much, yeah. Uh, they did a wee story, like we sat down interview with JR where Orlo talks about his relationship with dad and his dad lost his hair due to cancer and he's like, I grew my hair out to be like my dad and Joe knew that when he cut my hair a few months ago after he beat me. And a lot of people were like, well, there's some genuine story to it. Like Joe purposely cut his hair because he knew how important it was to him. Why didn't you do that before? Like the whole the whole haircutting thing and make it more important. Like I'm one of the few people who like, no, you're doing the right thing by mentioning it after because if you suddenly have a guy in a promo mention, oh, by the way, you see how long my hair is? This is important to me for sentimental reasons. And so you tell everybody, well, he's getting his hair cut at some point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jericho, Ricky Starks. Is this the the big win for Ricky Starks to push him towards uh, main event stardom? I think so because like, he got the win over Jericho before, uh, shortly after he lost to MJF to give him his win back. I think Jericho won't be hard by having a loss. I think guys, I saw somewhere that Jericho's never won on the Revolution pay per view. <laughs> like he's lost to Moxley, he lost in a tie match to the Bucks, he lost to Kingston last year, and so this would be like four and zero for uh, Jericho at uh, the Revolution pay per view. And honestly, I think it should go to Starks, and hopefully, you don't repeat what you did with Kingston last year, where you have the guy beat Jericho and then you spend the rest of the year. Dry on the feed into the fucking ground. Yeah, that, that was. I think this should be one and done. Hey, if you want to do one other maybe match on the, like on a dynamite or something, fair enough. But yeah, you need to you need to move on for that. Um, 
We'll probably go into the, the Women's Championship match in more detail next week along with the rest of the card, but uh, which is yet to be announced. Still time, Scott said, for Tony Khan to make this a 10-match card. Because, <laughs> like you said earlier, Russ, like, he's got not just like creative for a dime, maybe he's got Ring of Honor, film, and taking time out of his day he's got a minute to yell at journalists. Yeah, uh, I, I doubt there'll be uh, an Ardwell help. What's his name? Ariel Halani. Yeah, I doubt there'll be an appreciation section on the show for him. Um, but anyway, we move on from that. Uh, thank you very much, Scott, for joining me on this very special review and preview episode of Central. And decidedly average to be here once again. <laughs> we don't know when we'll be back. We should be back next week if we've got time, if, you know... John isn't going to Anfield to watch Liverpool concede more goals. If David isn't uh, mixed up his flight and he's really coming home next Sunday, and if I can actually get a good time to get a hold of <laughs> Chris Anthony Lopez, Scott might not be here, but Scott will probably be here next week. And I dread it with every fibre of my being. And <laughs> still need to get his finger out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll review Impact's No Surrender and look ahead properly to AEW Revolution. I keep wanting to say full gear. I don't know why. I always think full gear is the February pay-per-view. Uh, look ahead to AEW Revolution and talk about the road to WrestleMania, looking ahead to any more matches that might have been added. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Suplex Retweet, and a massive back catalogue on Anchor, Anchor iTunes, Spotify and all good Android podcasting sites. Eat, sleep, suplex, retweet. You invite us there. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.